I'm Tommy from Indiana. I'm Matt from Savannah, Georgia. I'm Jen from Oakland. The Sound of Young America is an independent production supported by listeners like me and you. If you'd like to support the show like I did, visit MaximumFun.org and click on Donate. I'm Jesse Thorne, live on tape from my house in Los Angeles. It's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest, Jonathan Gold, might be the most acclaimed restaurant critic in the United States, but he might not be the kind of restaurant critic that you imagine when I say the most acclaimed restaurant critic in the United States. There is maybe a little bit of that French guy from Ratatouille in him, but um, along with the reviews of... Um, hoity-toity, fancy Spago-type restaurants. He has made his name covering the ethnic quilt that is Los Angeles, Um, driving some 20,000 miles a year, visiting uh, very, very, very culturally specific restaurants and uh, translating them for the often culturally insular Los Angeles audience. He was the first food writer to win a Pulitzer Prize, the first food critic to be uh, nominated for a National Magazine Award in Criticism, um, and he is absolutely a, a Los Angeles legend. Jonathan Gold, welcome to The Sound of Young America. Glad to be here. Um, it is a pleasure to have you. So you're from Los Angeles. You're from uh, South LA, right? Right. I grew up... Um Near, uh, I guess, 63rd and Crenshaw. My my dad spent his teenage years in Glendale. He grew up till he was like 13 or something like that in Kansas City, but then lived in Glendale. And um, and he's he's older than you are, Jonathan. But I remember him telling me one day about stealing his parents' car after they went to sleep and driving to the coast, um, which I guess you know this would have been. 1960-ish, was not the longest drive. I mean, a 45-minute drive, maybe. But when he described it, it was as though he was going to Canada. You know what I mean? Like, it was like a whole different other world. And there's that sense in Los Angeles that, I don't know, I'm, I'm from San Francisco, I didn't feel in San Francisco, of it being just... A, a group of very individual worlds. It is that, and it is not that. It's a, it's interesting that they both exist at the same time. For example, you can get in your car and you can drive for a hundred miles on surface streets and still basically be in Los Angeles. I mean, the city names may change. It may be might become one of the small suburbs. You might be in Orange County. You might be you know, up towards Santa Barbara, but it's basically culturally Los Angeles. It's it's the city, there's really no end to it. Unlike, for example, even New York City. I mean, there is a point where the city ends and the suburbs begin, and it's a clear demarcation. And here, that really doesn't exist. But on the other hand, because you're dealing with, you know, the vastness of the grid, you find that people tend to congregate in different ways than they might in a lot of the rest of the country. For example, in New York City, people entertain in restaurants because unless you're very rich, your apartment probably isn't great. 
um, here we have backyards. I mean, even people who aren't super well off have backyards and they might have swimming pools and they have palm trees and they barbecue. I mean, that, that's what the socializing is. And the insularity is bad in a lot of ways. It's bad for the city politic, I think. But in a way, it's very, very good for food. Because you will have enclaves of, say, you know, Koreans or not, or or Chinese or Mexicans or even more specific. I mean, people from like one very specific region of China or one very specific region of Korea that have restaurants that are meant to satisfy them. Your origin story is an interesting one. Like the, the Los Angeles of the 60s when, and 70s when you're growing up is this kind of classic Los Angeles that like one of the special things about Los Angeles is that this place is the place that invented in many ways contemporary mass eating. Like the themed food experience, the Taco Bell... The, all of these things are like special Los Angeles, the Tex-Mex restaurant. Like these are all special Los Angeles-y things. And, and often when you think of, when, when you go to like a Los Angeles thing from the 30s um, that has been, the, you know, a Los Angeles institution, quote mm-hmm. unquote, it's often a very, very early form of that. You know, it's a very early form of Chili's or whatever. It's not quite that simple. Um but there, there is some truth to that. There is a sense in which because Hollywood and Los Angeles has been the source of so much mass culture in the United States that the, the Los Angeles accent is like the one accent in the country that doesn't actually read as an accent. It That... Um, that music that comes out of studios in LA doesn't read as having an LA sound. It just has a sound that, um, whereas you could open a, um, a place called, you know, Joe, Joe's New York bar and grill, and you'd know what they would serve or Joe's Chicago hot dogs. And you'd have an idea what would be on the menu, but you could open a restaurant someplace called, you know, Max's Los Angeles, and you'd have no idea what they would serve. Probably avocados. That's, a, that's about as far as you could get, right? It maybe, would involve avocados. Maybe avocados. I mean, one of my favorite uh, food essays from the 30s is by S.J. Perlman, piece in The New Yorker that was Farewell, My Lovely Avocado. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in the, I guess in the 80s when you were in your uh, 20s, and you had, you had grown up aspiring to be uh, – a musician, you're a cellist, still still play uh, sometimes, and you had gone into the sort of the very vibrant uh, 1980s Los Angeles uh, art punk scene, um, where you know if you can p- plug in a cello, like I feel like that's a that's a pretty good uh, credibility point for that particular world. Like if the like people who are like if you think it's hard to find a drummer. Like finding a cellist to be in your punk rock band has to be 
<laughs> a prize catch in a very specific context. I, I miss that sometimes, plugging my cello into the banks of high-watt stacks. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, started on this, you started on this project that is, I think, your, your famous origin story, which is eating your way from one end of Pico Boulevard to the other. Yeah, I started at a, uh, the old Sal- El Salvador Cafe, which was near where Pico sort of ends or begins... Actually, it dead ends into a Coca-Cola bottling plant shaped like a 30 steamship, which I've always thought was astonishing. And I'd go and I'd eat. Every day I would go off work and I'd go to the next restaurant and I'd sort of work my way down the street. And it was, a, it was an education, more than anything I've ever done, I think. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the Pulitzer Prize-winning food critic Jonathan Gold. He writes for the LA Weekly, and his book Counterintelligence is considered by many to be the definitive guide to Los Angeles. And yes, not just the definitive guide to the food of Los Angeles, which is its sole subject, but to the entire city. You were a critic for Gourmet Magazine based in New York for a little while. Right. Um, And you write about the toniest restaurants in Los Angeles sometimes as well. Mm-hmm. What do you like the most about fine dining restaurant food? Well, the food is freaking great, or at least it can be great. That it's where the most interesting and most innovative chefs wind up. They're the people who usually end up with the best raw materials that they have the experience and the technique to be able to put it together in a way that's wonderful. The problem is that when the ambitions are high, the skill level and the imagination is often not as high as the ambition, and they fall flat on their face in a way that's just not going to happen in a taqueria. I mean, a taqueria that's awful will last three weeks. Right. <laughs> There's plenty of places to get tacos. Um, but but when somebody is working on a really high level and they're pulling it off, I mean, it's 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 miraculous. I mean, they, they actually sort of like they can change your worldview with what's on a plate. So when when you get to eat a food that changes your worldview, um, what is it that keeps you going to taco places that, for all you know, might end up sucking? Well, may I say they don't all change my worldview. I mean, that's the thing. It's like I'm bored out of my mind with a lot of sort of formal restaurant ritual. And, I mean, some of it's wonderful. Some of it is there just because it's always been there. And a lot of the restaurants are geared towards people who are A, spectacularly wealthy, or B, celebrating, you know, an anniversary divisible by five. And those people have different expectations from dinner than I might. It's not about the food. It's about something else. And I if, I feel almost violated when I'm going into a place and I'm dropping $500 for dinner. And it's bad. I mean... I mean, really, it should be like pitchforks and torches time. I don't know why most people, <laughs> more people don't rise up against them. And some of the really spectacularly bad, dishonest restaurants have been operating for decades. And 
I don't know. It, I, I, get, I, guess, I guess it is what it is. But I, I like really good food. And I like really good food wherever I find it. And if I'm going to find it at Taqueria, that's great. And if I'm going to find it at, you know, the, the newest molecular cuisine restaurant, that's okay too. I find that um, in some in some ways, the more I live in Los Angeles, the less I venture forth into the world <laughs> um, because just going places kind of exhausts me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, f- I feel bummed about that because I feel like I'm, I'm missing out on so much of what Los Angeles has to offer. And I wonder how your life outside of eating has been affected by the fact that your job requires you to haul your ass to Norwalk or Orange or any of these dozens and dozens and dozens of places that you otherwise wouldn't make a point of of visiting. It's, in a lot of ways, it doesn't, change that much i mean I, I drive around during the day i come home i i always i always cook my kids dinner before i go out i mean actually a lot of times like the number one qualification is is the dinner that i cook for my kids that i'm leaving behind better than <laughs> what, what, what i have just driven 20 miles and paid 200 dollars for um and actually an obnoxiously high percentage of the time it is. Um, how, how much different stuff do you eat? Is there some way to quantify it? I don't think there is a way to quantify it. I how mean, many? How, okay, let's start with this. How many days a week are you going out and eating for work? Um. Probably six out of seven. And at, how, at least one meal. And how many meals out are are you usually eating in that time? I mean, if you're sometimes taking a bite of something and thinking it's it's not that great and just paying for it and leaving, are you are you doubling up on on meals in those days sometimes? Sometimes. I mean, sometimes I'll go to a lot of places. Um, I know that. Jonathan, you need to understand that while this does not seem like a big deal to you, I think to, uh, uh, there are probably, what, a dozen people in the world who eat the way that you do, so it is a big deal to me. Yeah, yeah, I, I can understand that. I know that I, I know I figured it out one time, and I go to about four restaurants that I don't review for every restaurant that I do review. And um, the the... The LA Weekly, the paper I work for, just added uh, a column of, of re-reviews. So actually I get to revisit restaurants because sometimes that's one of the frustrations of the job is going to a place that you really love and going there a lot of times. And then the review is written and you never see it again. More with Jonathan Gold after a break. It's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI. Public Radio International. Production of The Sound of Young America is supported in part by the menswear blog Put This On, presenting the Put This On Gentlemen's Association. Members receive a handmade pocket handkerchief in the mail every 60 days. More information at putthison.com. And by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered. 
online at ask.metafilter.com. Starting in 2012, the sound of young America will become bullseye. The same great content, the same great signposts to what's good in popular culture, but now with a name that you're not embarrassed to say out loud. So, the sound of young America, bullseye, starting in 2012. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the Pulitzer Prize-winning food critic Jonathan Gold. He writes for the LA Weekly, and his book Counterintelligence is considered by many to be the definitive food guide to Los Angeles. Heck, the definitive guide to Los Angeles just in general. Do you still encounter foods that make you trepidatious? There are, yeah, I mean, I see terror in a plate of scrambled eggs for some reason. I'm just, <laughs> there's something about like a naked egg that just terrifies me. Are you cool with other forms of the egg? Uh, about pickled eggs. How do you feel about pickled eggs? I, no, I don't like pickled eggs. I don't like them boiled. I don't like them shirred. I don't, I cook eggs every single freaking day, <laughs> right? It's like, <laughs> I, I cook more, for my family, I cook more eggs than a short order cook. But I, the, the idea of eating one is, it's hard. Do you have to adjust for your personal taste or have you managed to broaden your palate to the point where, you can eat some weird Thai regional cuisine and you don't have to worry about the fact that you're you just you're just not that into Thai cuttlefish. Um I tried I try very hard to get beyond that. I mean I've I've told the story before but there was in the um, 90s a a Taiwanese restaurant. And I went into I just loathed it more than I've loathed any restaurant I've ever been to. I mean, the, um, the soup was thickened. It was like okra. I mean, it was like gumbo plus, right? So it's like you take a spoon and it would like snap back into the bowl. <laughs> and it was flavored. There was a smokiness that wasn't like subtle and wonderful. It was like somebody had stubbed out a cigar in it. And um, there was something called um, stinky tofu. <laughs> I mean, that's what they call it, right? That's not the euphemism. That's like, uh, I think you're getting the idea. This was not my favorite place. Right. But I, but I looked around and I said, everybody was enjoying the food. People were well-dressed. It was a nice restaurant. It was, cl- it was clear that, pe- that the chef was doing exactly what he meant to be doing, that he wasn't messing up, that this wasn't his fault. It was he was cooking the food exactly the way that he thought it should be cooked. And that the problem was that I was approaching it wrong. And I went back to that restaurant 17 times. 17? Yeah. That's a lot of times. Yeah. And I reviewed it and I talked about all the things that put me off about it. But I think I was able to put it in context that I was able to look at the food the way that it was meant to be looked at. That's hard. I mean, food... Food is this thing that means who we are and where we're from, and it's 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 got to be hard to pick up someone else's, you know, cultural context enough to get something that's coming from someone who, you know, until you know six years ago lived twelve thousand miles away. Yeah, I mean, some of it is incredibly difficult, like. Um 
there's a dish i hate to bring taiwan up again but here we go um it, it's a it's, suck it up taiwanese <laughs> you're a, getting it full barrel from mr jonathan gold pulitzer it, prize winner it's it's a beef noodle soup and in the san gabriel valley here there are probably 50 places that serve it and they all taste pretty freaking close to one another but you can listen to two Taiwanese people arguing about which is better and why and what the exact uh, QQ of the noodle means as opposed to this one's slightly softer noodle as opposed to this one's funk, funkier armpitty beef flavor as opposed to this one's sort of suave broth. And it's probably enough to start wars. And, and it's I know that I've nearly started wars <laughs> over uh, burritos in my hometown so I can relate oh yeah I, I, I've started uh, I've started wars between um, northern and southern California burritos <laughs> I, 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 you know, I know you're from the mission but I think the, I think the mission burrito is just a monstrosity <laughs> oh no oh no <laughs> there's really nothing you could tell me that would hurt me more than what you just said Jonathan Gold I'm sorry I've, I've, tr- I've tried them all <laughs> <laughs> since we had that little mini blow up on the subject of burritos which I'm going to let slide because you seem like a good guy mm-hmm. Um, and because I live here now and I'm going to have to live here for a while, so I just need to let it slide just in general. Um, uh, let's talk about one thing about Los Angeles that I think we can probably agree on, and that is, uh, Langer's Deli. Um, I've eaten a few of the famous pastramis of New York City. Mm-hmm. They're very delicious. Some um, of them. Yeah, <laughs> some of them are. Um, I mean, pastrami is great. It's really tasty. Um, Langer's Delicatessen here in Los Angeles That's the best one I've ever had It's pretty tremendous I think it's the best pastrami sandwich in the country I've Yeah, I've had You know, I mean all the well-known And even less known, well-known places in New York I've been to places in Chicago I've been to the, you know, famous place in Indiana And Baltimore And just it's It's Langer's It's Langer's hands down and it's interesting because everybody, or at least everybody in LA, buys their pastrami from the same guy. But the difference is the way they treat it. They they steam it for a really long time, so it's really soft. A lot of the obnoxious fat is is rendered out of it. It becomes denser, and for some reason, smokier. So it almost resembles. Um, I don't know, like a great uh, Texas smoked brisket, but with the sort of that you know Jewish punch to it, and they and they hand slice because it's so tender that if they put it through a machine, it would fall apart. Is there anything that you eat here in Los Angeles that um, makes you proud to be an Angelino in the way that? Eating a burrito makes me <laughs> proud to be from San Francisco. Um, I don't know. I mean, I mean, Los Angeles has given many foods to the world. Pretty much all of the national fast food culture comes out of the greater LA area, for better or for worse. You know, LA is where you know the you know obviously the Cobb salad was invented, the Caesar salad. 
But something that that just like breathed Los Angeles, that, that's hard to say. I mean, just like you walk down a street here and in in ordinary block and you'll see like a, a half-timbered Tudor house and you'll see two Spanish haciendas and you'll see an Italian villa and you'll see you know, Cotswold Cottage and, and like all these, you know, wonderful kinds of like fan, of fantasy domestic architecture that come from all over the freaking world and just exist on one block because this is Los Angeles. And we make, it's a comfortable place for all of that. And as far as something that, uh, food that uniquely expresses the, um, the culture of L.A.? I don't know. I mean, I I could talk about the East L.A. green chili burrito. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jonathan Gold, I sure appreciate you taking the time to be on the San Diego America. It's been great being here. Jonathan Gold is a food writer for the L.A. Weekly. His book, Counterintelligence, uh, still in print after 10 or so years, is considered by many to be the definitive guide to Los Angeles just in general, uh, n- not even just Los Angeles food. And he, he writes for numerous other publications as well. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne. The show produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer, Julia Smith. Our editor is Nick White. Our intern is Colin Walzak. That's Colin with two L's for those of you keeping score at home. If you have thoughts about the show, you can always send me an email. My email address is jesse at MaximumFun.org. And always remember, all good radio hosts have a signature sign-off. I'm Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. And I'm Jordan Morris, boy detective. Every week on our show, Jordan, Jesse, go, I would say that we share a little slice of our hearts. Yeah. And a little peek at our dicks. <laughs> but every week we have a podcast where we have fun and funny conversations with guests from the worlds of comedy, film, television. It's all online at MaximumFun.org or just search for Jordan, Jesse, go in iTunes. <laughs>